Well, this is shocking. This is shocking, Agnes. It's revelatory, dare I say. This is a great meeting of Agnes and Ezra in the same room, making the first ever in-person version episode of Two Queers, Four Questions. In fact, we just spent about 25 minutes trying to figure out how technically we were going to figure out whether it was possible to record our voices while in the same room. You would think it'd be easier <laughs> to not be across the country from one another, but it's actually more difficult. It's actually it's, more difficult. It's We're having an encounter of great intensity. And maybe we'll never do it again, because it's just... <laughs> Which, it, lo and behold... <laughs> Thematically perfect for the <laughs> holiday up for discussion today. We're really going to talk through the tech of Revelation. What <laughs> happened at Sinai? Whose platform was it on? What cables were used? We are here to discuss <laughs> this holiday of Shavuot. What, so what is Shavuot? Shavuot happens... Shavuot does happen. Shavuot happens in the springtime... Seven weeks after the first day of Passover, after counting the whole Omer for 49 days, the 50th day is Shavuot. It is, it is a harvest festival. It is also associated with the giving of the Torah. So you've, you've marked the, the, the first and best things of your harvest, and you bring them as an offering. It's one of the three pilgrimage holidays. There are these three key holidays where there's a trip you take to the temple in Jerusalem. Those holidays being Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuot. Yes, yes. And the, we- the name of the holiday literally means weeks, which right. I guess is born out in that idea that it's seven weeks after... Passover. Yeah, it's it is it is interesting that it's named after the weeks that it that you wait for it to arrive. Right. Um, yeah. So then, the rabbinic gloss on this holiday is that this holiday coincides with the date of the revelation at Mount Sinai, which you know textually it's not like explicated it's not explicitly said in in the bible that that is when it was but it is said that i guess they came to sinai in the third month after leaving egypt this holiday is in the third month i mean it's it's 49 days after passover so it you know plausibly adds up and sort of more spiritually, it makes sense as a journey that we would have this big cataclysmic cathartic moment of being released, booted out of Egypt, fleeing, making it through the sea. And that at, then there's this sort of journey into the wilderness and that the next big transformative event is the receiving of the Torah. Yeah. And then the last piece maybe that's key is that we read the, the book that we traditionally read on this holiday is the book of Ruth. Should I tell the story of the Book of Ruth real fast? Or? Yeah, yeah. Let's just get it out in the... The Book of Ruth is about a woman named Naomi who has two sons and a husband. And 
her sons get married to Moabite women, and then her husband dies, and then both her sons die. One of her daughter-in-law's daughters-in-law goes home after a tearful farewell. Naomi sends her home, but Ruth says, I won't leave you, and wherever you go, I will go, and your people will be my people, and just spiritually joins her, and supposedly is a, is a, is thus a convert to Judaism, and then, and then she finds a husband, basically, yeah. um, and, and via some agricultural labor. <laughs> yeah, it's some farm born. Yeah, basically she, she does some hot farm work, and, uh, lands herself a man. And then she turns out to be the ancestress of King David. So that's the outlines of, of Chef Wu, right? We have, according to the custom, four questions to ask about this holiday. We have four questions. They're also party-themed. Somehow I was got excited about this little thread. The first question <laughs> is, do we want it? Do we want it? Which is to say, Revelation is a big deal. It creates both it's both terrifying and it creates all these obligations and there's a lot of conversation in the rabbinic tradition about the ways in which this moment at sinai is coercive so this question is like do we want this revelation what is what what yeah why would we not want it maybe that's the place to start i i guess like on the, on the most primal sort of level of why we might not want it is that like it's just existentially terrifying to encounter god and uh it's yeah i mean it's sort of an established thing that like no one can see god's face and live like encounter with god is liable to cause death and uh the israelites seem quite alive to that possibility and um at least in the in in the moment they yeah they freak out Mo they're like god starts talking and moses is like and eventually they're like, we, you should just go up, Moses, and you just get the info for us. We can't keep listening to this. You should just go up and we'll, we'll listen when you get back. But we, we can't bear to hear this from the, the mouth of God the way we are right now. Um, I mean, there's also the, the rabbinic image of God taking the mountain of Sinai, holding it in the air over the Israelites' head and saying, accept this Torah or this will be your grave. Yeah. Yeah, there's an intensity to the experience that, like, is sometimes framed as, like, coercion. And, like, the power and terror of the divine is, like, so intense that, like, the choice is, like, there is no real choice. It's, like, this is happening now, and um, you're in it. I think that the part that, I, that, I, that you said really beautifully was that <laughs> there's, like, this feeling, it's like receiving someone's love that it's a little scary because then you're going to owe them all these things. Like if you really go there with someone, you're suddenly obligated to them. You're tangled up in this relationship, tangled up in a series of commitments. And so this idea that, you know, revelation is not just like watching the fireworks. It's, it's like actually about being suddenly entangled in this set of obligations and it's complicated because how, what does it mean to commit to obligations when when this show of force is so intense from the revealing being yeah something's being asked of you and um yeah it's not necessarily clear what there's a there's a mid rush which you know has 
I don't know. It's, it feels a little funny. feels a little off to me, but, like, there's a midrash about, like, God went to all these other nations and asked them, would you like to receive the Torah? And they all said, like, no, we can't. We can't have this Torah because of... It says don't steal, and that's what we do. Or, like, it says this rule, and we can't... It. This is, like, too demanding, basically. I'm picturing God as, like... A guy standing outside a subway platform asking people, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> just like trying to find and, the people. Yeah. Everyone's just like, no, just that. <laughs> Leave me alone. And then, and then in the end, like, in the Midrash, Israel is like, yes, we'll, we'll do it. And we so, just also, I just also want to ask, do we want this because of what it, I don't know. The Torah is like a problem in my life in a lot of ways. Or like a lot of things about Judaism and what it seems to be asking of me have been like big problems for me as a queer person and just as a contemporary person who like wants to have a normal and full life. But I have this book tugging on my sleeve being like, don't eat that and don't drive that on that day <laughs> and um not to mention yeah the like the queer phobic things in it and the things that like test the boundaries of what i think is moral with like um ritual concerns or sort of other concerns that are hard for me or anyone to understand and and like do damage and like you know have done damage to friends of mine so it's like i'm just this is all sharpening this question of like do we want this and is it like just is it just too strange and too much and too um foreign demanding i mean i like the way i mean i'm just noticing the way you said you had this book tugging at my sleeve like it's it is a little bit of a broke back mountain situation of i just can't quit you you know that there's what does it even mean to say that you want something that you feel you can't get away from because even in just what you said that it's tugging at my sleeve there's a sense that you feel obligated to this that this it's not like you you know showed up at the club and said i want to go in and now you're like are in there it's just like as a thing that calls to you it's a thing that that is just a uh, uh, yeah, I just can't quit you. You know, that that's like the the feeling. And what does it mean to think about one's wanting in relationship to that? I mean, I think, I, like, that's that's where I think this comes back to this question of power. It's such a, it's such a, the crude way of saying it is it's such a flex, but it's like such a moment of demonstration of God's power. And God has just demonstrated a lot of power in giving the Israelites out of Egypt, but that's like a moment of survival. This is a moment of power that's like actually quite threatening. This is where I like got excited about that Leo Bersani essay is the rectum of grave in the way he talks about sex and dynamics of power and gender. And he talks about these moments of self-shattering and moments of like a feeling of the boundaries of the self dissolving, that there's a, there's like a kind of a death drivey, like self-destructive impulse mm. in certain forms of desire. And I think that there's a way in which to me, the experience of like a relationship to God in the moment of a relation, and I think there are so many different moments of relationship to God, but in this moment in particular, it definitely feels like you're like, in this moment, at least, you're like bottoming for God, and you're just mm -hmm. like being completely like sh destroyed by the by the force of this being. Um, and I think that that's a very terrifying thing. And also, like, what does it mean to find desire in that moment and to find the wanting in that moment? Yeah, I mean, I mean. 
the question is maybe like when you're thinking of when you're bottoming like it's not really coerce coercive you're in a like chosen arena of relationship and it's a love relationship everything hinges on like that you do want it but it also matters that like you you want this like i mean that's to find a point on it you want this like foreign intrusion you want this thing that like yeah you want this outside force that really stretches you <laughs> and it matters that it is something outside of you that you're not like in control of but you're saying yes to it and it it brings you outside of yourself it brings you outside of what would i want if i could just like get what i want what would morality be if i could just choose it to me it matters to that that the voice of morality is not purely an inner voice and the voice of the torah is not an inner voice that i'm that's coming from inside me it's, it's like a relationship with this voice that is super foreign to me and and often alienating or just confusing or that kind of makes you go like what really and like you know i mean i i, I say that very advisedly with like if if a voice from outside of you is like degrading you and then like you know as sometimes as like queer phobia plus judaism has done to me like it's like this book plus this culture of judaism around the book is like shoving this down my throat that's like abusive it's a very tricky thing because like one thing it's it's just hard for me to talk about because i value so much the foreignness and the demandingness of the torah and i also have had to learn to recognize like when that foreignness and demandingness is asking something that can't be followed that can't that can't be observed that i can't do which like yeah the the jewish people interpreting the torah know that moment well of like they've been asked to stone their child or something and they're like we can't do that so we're so there's here's the way that we're not going to do that yeah so it's um and it's like and there's no case-by-case basis for that but i do think that there's something about i mean this is where this idea of i think the boundaries of the self we construct an ego as a way of protecting ourselves and we pretend that we understand what's going on and that we have some modicum of control over what happens as we move through the world and that we can think through everything and wrap our head around it all. But deep down, there's like always, I think, in the human experience, this fundamental fear and terror of just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And a a sense that there is, that the borders of the self and the ego are inadequate to an experience of what it is to be alive. And that I think that there's something about, I mean, Fear is very much a part of the narrative of revelation. And I, this is that verse that I love where Moses says, like, don't, don't be afraid. This is so that you will be afraid. Or like, don't be afraid. You're going to be afraid. Is I think this one way of <laughs> yeah. glossing that, that. What's that, the, what's the, what's the line exactly? Um, Moses hands to the people, be not afraid. Al tirau, for God has come only in order to test you and in order that the fear of God may be ever with you. That God's, the fear of God will be on your faces. And I think that, like, it's when we try and... Yeah, so he's sort of saying, like, don't be afraid. This is just 
to make sure you're always <laughs> afraid of God forever. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, I think that this, there's like a way in which that, what we were talking about at that experience of that sexual experience can translate into experiences of pain, experiences of fear, experiences of like, not all of which necessarily are positive or consensual things, but there's that, that, that mental space you go into where I think you, the boundaries of yourself dissolve because your ability to, to make rational sense of what's going on fall away. And I think that that's where what you're saying about needing something that comes from outside, like having a relationship to something that's bigger than you feels like an important, it just feels like to try and frame it all in terms of things that can come from inside you. It just feels like it's, that's, that's a, that's a house of, sticks that the big bed wolf is going to blow down pretty quickly. Right. For it to kind of like, I mean, it's like for it to kind of land on you, you know, to inherit something. I just think that is kind of, you want that you want to not have chosen everything for yourself. I don't know. I mean, it's, and maybe it's a, I get freaked out by what, like I will choose if I get to choose everything i think i might just tend to choose like pleasure narrow-mindedness ignoring the n- others needs you know yeah that's enough said <laughs> let's i think we have to I think this is the time to go to the next question okay so the next question is do i have to show up do i have to show up it's a great it's it's good for this holiday because it's a because it's a pilgrimage holiday and also uniquely among other pilgrimage holidays it's like about specifically about showing up somewhere everybody showed up at mount sinai i guess this really just um this question comes from a place of wondering about about the mutuality of of revelation and i think it's it's a thing that we're not only asked to show up for but to but to bring something of our own to it yeah, I mean, this is just to, to maybe to put too fine a point on what you're saying, but just that, like, we've talked about Revelation as this thing that comes from God, this, like, incredible external force that, that enters our, breaches the borders of ourselves and enters us. But at the same time, paradoxically, we're actually asked to participate and to show up for Revelation. Yeah, there's this, um, there's a story from the Talmud of, of Rabbi Akiva debating with some Roman overlord named Ternus Rufus, who's asking him just like doing a like trying to trap him and trying to out Jewish thought as illegitimate so he asks Akiva uh, what's what uh, what is finer the deeds of human being human beings or the deeds of the holy one I guess or the deeds of God or the gods Akiva says the deeds of human beings are finer Thomas Rufus replied, why do you circumcise? Said Rabbi Akiva, I knew you were going to ask me about that, and that is why I answered you the way I did, that the deeds of human beings are finer than those of the Holy One, blessed be he. Rabbi Akiva brought before Ternus Rufus stalks of grain and some finely baked bread, and said to him, these stalks of grain are the works of the Holy One, blessed be he, and these loaves of bread are the works of human beings. Aren't these the bread's nicer than the stalks of grain yeah the holy one blessed be he gave the mitzvot to israel to refine them i that's just a the thought of um being sort of being given the world as a challenge that's that's what makes that makes me um 
think of as like, what can you bring out of this? It's like an invitation. And that just sort of posits life as an invitation to participate. Mm. Um, I like this. You also brought this Emmanuel Levinas passage that I really love. It says, the uniqueness of each act of listening carries the secret of the text. The voice of revelation, in precisely the inflection lent by each person's ear, is necessary for the truth of the whole. So that we each have a different way of listening. We're going to each hear something different when we hear the voice of revelation. And our the diversity and multiplicity of our listenings and of our understandings is part of what revelation is. And it's necessary for the whole to exist. Right. And yeah, there's... Um... I don't know, there's this thing that I really love from from a Midrash, from the Torah Shalema. It, it takes a line from the Revelation at Sinai, where it's like about the fear that they were feeling, because there was thunder and, and lightning. And it says, all the people saw the kolot, um, which means sounds and also means voices, which is sometimes described as like, there was like this synesthetic experience of God where people saw sounds and people saw impossible things and they were just shattering their senses basically. So it says all the people saw the voices Exodus 20 15. Not the voice but the voices. Rabbi Yochanan said when the voice came forth it did so only according to the strength of each individual Israelite according to what he could bear. So it says, the voice of God is in strength, from Psalm 29, according to the strength of each individual. Kol Hashem Bakoach, which, so I think about that every time, they sing that on every Shabbat, uh, when they're, when they're carrying the Torah around the synagogue, like, um, basically, that it matters who the person is who's receiving the revelation, and in this mass in this mass revelation of everyone seeing and uh, hearing from god like it just matters how each person hears it's sort of a single revelation from a unified god becomes a different message to each person based on who they are which like yeah to me it just resonates with like get you have to bring something to this moment makes me think of one of my one of the best teachers i've ever had was my seventh and eighth grade english social studies teacher and we did a poetry unit um towards the end of eighth grade and the way she structured the poetry unit was she would bring in a poem each class and we would talk about the poem and try and unpack it but she would we knew that each poem was dedicated to one person in the class and ever she know had known us for a few years now so she knew everyone pretty well and so you would be reading the poem as a class to understand the poem, but also trying to figure out whose poem it was. Because like each, mm. there was like a, she had a, a specific reason why each poem was for one person in the class. And I just think that it was like both as an incredibly beautiful and generous way of honoring each person in the class. It was also just like a way of teaching that poetry exists in the context of relationship and that poetry mm-hmm. exists because it means something and it reflects some facet of human experience or lived experience and I just think that that's like it's not just like oh everybody at the Mount Sinai gets a candy because everybody matters it's that like there's something 
in the revelation that is inherently relational. Uh-huh. And that is inherently specific to every human there. So it's like, if you don't show up, then we don't get revelation. <laughs> it's another way of answering that question. Yeah, I know. And it's interestingly, like, in tension with the last question of, like, bottoming for God. <laughs> Or, like, the sense of fear and the sense of, like, being sort of annulled or overwhelmed by an outside force. But, like, I don't know. I think I think that, like, that's part of the process of, a, of love. It's like it is going, going beyond yourself to become something new. But at the same, not, at the same time, not negating yourself, you know? It's like um, this, this self... I don't know, this self-shrinking or it's like leaping beyond the bounds of the self also sort of dissolves the self but expands it. At home, my uh, toddler and my wife and I are got these caterpillars that like, it's like a butterfly kit and these caterpillars stay in a jar and they eat and they keep growing and growing and then they, and then they form a chrysalis hanging from the top of the jar and then you put them on this little net and it and then a butterfly comes out, and um, I've just been thinking about caterpillars and butterflies and that growth process. I always thought that, like, the butterfly, you could just still see the caterpillar there in the middle of the butterfly. It just like, oh, it, it grew wings. It, like, went in the cocoon, and then it grew wings. But I learned that caterpillars, like, become entirely liquid, and they, they de constitute and then and then become a butterfly and then come out of the chrysalis i don't know that's just in my head i guess and the the thought that like you sort of like liquefy yourself to become the version of yourself that has wings you know that is like in a new stage i don't know i don't know how it quite if it does it quite map on to the love relationship idea i don't know but like something I, I think it actually does like to to love someone yeah it's like a kind of a self-destruction that like brings you to a new stage of selfhood a more beautiful more powerful self the last thing i'll I love that, and I think it's like that's the image that sort of mediates between our two questions so far, like of self-shattering and 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 becoming oneself more fully. I just in the Eish um, Kodesh gives a drash and Shavuot and quotes the Baal Shem Tov's commentary on the verse from Song of Songs five six. My soul comes forth in his words. Nafshi it's bitvaro, and the Baal Shem Tov says that this means that when someone speaks, some part of their soul comes forth. And I think that that's both when I speak, some part of my soul comes forth, but also like when you speak to somebody who hears you, some part of their soul comes forth to meet your speaking. Mm. Um, and I think that that, like if God is speaking and our souls come forth at God's speech, it's both, it's both like us becoming ourselves in a fuller way. Like some part of ourselves becomes more clear in this moment of hearing. Um, of receiving, receiving this, yeah. this language in a way that it wouldn't on its own. It's not like we came and brought our old, like our favorite pecan pie that we make whenever we come to every party. Like 
at, at the revelation for this party, we like, there's a recipe that's we've never even imagined that gets called forth from us that suddenly we arrive and it's there in our hands. We don't even remember making it. Yeah, there's a lot of like echoes of, I mean, there's a thing from the Ha'amek Davar, a Hasidic commentator who, um, who reads like that same line that you quoted before, Moses saying, do not be afraid for in order to test you, God has come to you. And that word test, lenasot, is, is translated as to exalt you. Mm-hmm. So Davar is just is saying, like, God is revealing God's self for the purpose of expanding human capacity and, like, spiritual greatness, bringing them to this place where they, yeah, where they just have an expanded capacity to to hear and to be in relationship with God. I mean, is this, this feels like our next question. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. What is our next question? Wait, who's, who's I have invi- it out of order. Who's invited is our next question. Who's, who's invited? invited? So we know that it's this beautiful, special invitation that comes um, to be exalted. And who's invited? I mean, it's this is the part. There are a couple of ways in which this question brings out some thorns in this holiday. You mentioned earlier this line where Moses tells all the men to stay away from the women for three days before Revelation. So it's like, were there women there? Was that... Yeah, just kind of without elaboration. Do not go near a woman for the next three days. Which I remember my... I just remember a conversation between my mom and my sister. Or my mom brought up that line. Do not go near a woman. She was like, so what? This is just, the Torah, the revelation is just for men? The Torah is just for men? And my sister said, had this brilliant <laughs> response, or just, I found, a response I found very moving that was like, this is, a, this is the great thing about being a woman. Like, you, your way in was not made for you, so you have to make it for yourself. Anyway, yeah, I, I loved that sort of summary of like the perspective that being excluded like gains you that like is sort of a secret weapon of the excluded. I but mean, yeah, there's this yeah, there's a a question of inclusion is like a big deal here because it's sort of like receiving the Torah was like something that happened and there were certain people that were there and that it was for and like who were those people and I don't know if you weren't there as none of us literally I, were you there I was were there. I don't remember <laughs> being there um yeah but so like are you included if you weren't there or um like if you were not Jewish or not born Jewish or if you don't believe in God or just like lots of the whole subsections of people who might feel specifically excluded from this like communal identification of like we were there and we received this and like the question is like what do we do with that sense of exclusion and like is that sense of exclusion like borne out by our tradition or is it like contradicted is it are there is there pushback 
right, what are the models for doing what your sister describes of making your own way into the tradition? Are there models that exist within the Torah of that already? And that's, I mean, maybe that's where the Ruth comes in. Right. In that, like, here's the story about a person who is not identified, is not, comes from a different people, is not Jewish, marries into this family, her husband dies, and her mother-in-law says, you have every reason to just, like, peace out and go back to your people. There's nothing else for you here. And she's like, no, no, I want to stay with you. And she becomes not only central to this family and, like, the hero of the story and a exemplar of devotion, compassion, and and a kind of, like, deep abiding kindness, she becomes the foremother of the messianic lineage. So she becomes, like, quite central to this whole collective project. Right, and, and for that to be the book that's read on the holiday that's about receiving the Torah, it, like, it has a very strong suggestion of like here's somebody who received the torah and she didn't do it by being present at mount sinai she did it by by loving somebody basically Mm -hmm. you know I, i i think there's a lot of people who like come to judaism via loving somebody for instance my partner uh converted to judaism basically because she fell in love with me. I mean, like, she has a relationship with Judaism that's an outgrowth, that's its own thing, but it has to do with me. And, you know, I think that's something that is something like, some. it's sometimes, like, called into question by, like, oh, are you just converting for this social reason, for this, like, love relationship reason and is that legitimate and i just like see the book of ruth read on shavuot as like that's exemplary not not only legitimate but that is the best way to come into a spiritual community is via loving somebody i don't know to me it's like it's like it's a love moment to to be at Sinai and hear from God to to like bridge that divide between human and infinite that has to be that's 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 a love relationship like I think that's the idea that only love can do that and that's mirrored by human beings loving one another and kindness and devotion etc yeah I mean I think it's it's both I think what's beautiful there is it's both a model for like why such a person is not only welcome but central but like I think of Naomi as someone who does talk a lot of God and she's the one who after her two children die and her husband has died says like I'm empty. I have nothing. Like, I should be called Mara. I should be called bitter because I left home full and I came back empty. And, like, and that's where I think it's, like, I mean, I just just picture Ruth, like, beside her being, like, you don't have anything. I'm, like, literally just sort of came this whole way with you. Are you going to say that about me? I'm standing right here. But also (laughs) that she, Naomi, just doesn't know to, she doesn't know to look around. She doesn't know to see that there is 
she is full. There is, there's Torah everywhere. There's Torah in the way Ruth behaves. There's Torah in the way Boaz behaves. There's Torah in the gleaning of the, the corners of the field, the parts that are left out. And I think that that, like, that question of who's invited is a question not only for the person who might not feel invited to be, to be reminded that they are invited and in fact they're necessary, but also to the people who might be tempted to draw borders and say so-and-so is not welcome or so-and-so is not um, whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, who, who is also invited is like the poor and the widow. I mean, Ruth and Naomi are widows. We just recently read in the like list of holidays of the Jewish calendar in Parshat and more, and like right in the middle of the list, that's just all holidays, no like rules about them. It's just like here are the holidays and when they happen and what they're about. And then when Shavuot comes, it's like, and don't forget to leave the corner of your field unharvested. That's for the poor and the foreigner to uh, gather. So I guess like, I just, it's like just pretty emphatic that like this holiday that's sort of about pilgrimage to Jerusalem and communal identification and celebrating that we got this Torah and this Torah is just for us. It just like emphatically includes a foreigner and just people who are sort of like communally left out in different ways. It has to include them. Yeah, it's like... Or it's incomplete, yeah. Yeah. Question four? Question four. Will I see you again? Will (laughs) I see you again? What does that question mean? (laughs) The question means... (laughs) Well, it's a... It's like a romance movie kind of question. (laughs) Will I see you again? But, like, I think without... Yeah, we're trying to ask... um, What's the future of this relationship with God that seems to be beginning at at Mount Sinai? And is revelation a thing that happens and is done and you just are like living on um, a kiss to build a dream on? <laughs> or is it... I mean, I think we're going to land on this side, but, like, is it an ongoing <laughs> relationship? And, like, what what does it mean that it's an ongoing relationship? How could a relationship that has this, like, spectacular moment of encounter that just ends and never happens again be a relationship that keeps progressing? I mean, just to, before we go there, because I do think that's where we're going to land, but, like, to land, to, to sort of lean into the kiss to build a dream on side? Yeah. I feel like you talked about, um, you know, of, of among the holidays, Shavuot, you described as like a little bit Shmini Yatzeret vibe and that there's not a huge amount of ritual structure and that, you know, there's a tradition of doing staying up all night to study and there's, but it's not, it's not like Pesach, which is so specifically ritualized. So you described it as like a relationship when you first meet somebody, when you first fall in love with somebody you have this incredible first moment and there's no structure for right yeah you haven't built yeah you haven't built a relationship with patterns and and symbols and and we go out to eat together every wednesday night those are like 
the mitzvot and rituals that other other holidays have, but this is like the holiday where you're just meeting for the first time, and it's just about being there and the encounter. I, I mean, I think actually about I mean, I, this might be etym- etymologically on shaky ground, but they call it um, Chag HaAtzeret, the holiday of gathering, basically, Atzeret, but Atzeret also means, like, stopping, and it's sort of like, you just stop, I don't know, I'm I'm thinking of being stopped in your tracks and love at first sight, and just being there, like, you don't have a special ring that you wear to show your love yet, or you don't have a, a container to hold this love relationship in as a marriage holds a love relationship, it's just like, at this moment, you're just together with God and falling for each other hard. <laughs> I mean, I think that that image of being stopped, that it's made me realize that Sarah, that word is like actually tied to this, that this little key moment in this Deuteronomy verse that is interpreted a thousand different ways. Kovidol Yasaf. Kol gadol velo yasaf, and that yeah, that word yasaf gets interpreted, which kol gadol velo yasaf, a voice, a great voice, and lo yasaf, which one way of interpreting that is, and it didn't, it didn't, it was never resumed again, like it never happened again. Mm-hmm. There was ne- there was no second. It was never there was added no on to, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean two. It was just like the one, <laughs> the one smash hit, and that like so that that's one way of reading this moment that this is like a singular moment in the history of the Jewish people nothing like it will ever happen again um, another way of reading it is like there was no pause like God she spoke and she did not stutter you know there was like hmm. utter clarity and then another way of saying it uh, inter- way of reading it is like there was never it never stopped like the, yeah. the, the voice it was a great voice and it has continued resounding to this day so it's like quite a range of possible interpretations but I think there's kind of an incredible which I think is beautiful <laughs> all of those things are present in that one thing but yeah literally I mean this is the Kabbalistic view I think is that like the Kabbalistic view is that there is no like even the language of the written Torah is itself an interpretation of this pure utterance and this pure utterance was the voice of God Torah has no grammar it's just pure voice and this uh-huh. voice is unpronounceable and this voice is like a fountain that just like burbles throughout all of time and the second that this fountain stops burbling all life would disappear like Mm. the only reason why life exists is because this fountain is still flowing and that that's revelation and that we as people who stand on different sides of the fountain see different sides of it we hear different things in the burbling of the fountain but that this like continuous ongoing process of daily creation and revelation yeah um, will I ever see you again that's like well I'm here just like open your ears Mm mm-hmm yeah, or like how, like the the voice of God is continually audible, and like sort of our world is audib- audibleness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess then there's other ideas of like of how that revelation might be continuing, like in that it just like keeps getting sort of forever refracted by every generation and every person who brings something new to it um there is like there's a line in um the Talmud that's like there's no house of study without 
Hiddush without something new, um, a new idea brought out of Torah. And that's like continuing revelation is made possible just by the people who keep re-revealing the meaning of the Torah and the, and just like intricacies of the ideas of the Torah. I also feel I have to read just this, this quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel, which like really has stayed with me over the years. Um, it's from his book, God in Search of Man. The word is the word of God and its understanding he gave unto man. The source of authority is not the word as given in the text, but Israel's understanding of the text. At Sinai, we received both the word and the spirit to understand the word. Some of that original understanding and response of Israel was poured into words, conveyed from mouth to mouth, entrusted to writing, but much of which words were only a reflection remained unsaid, unwritten, a tradition transmitted from soul to soul, inherited like the power to love, and kept alive by constant communion with the word, by studying it, by guarding it, by living it, and by being ready to die for it. In the hands of many peoples it became a book. In the life of Israel it remained a voice, a Torah within the heart, as Isaiah puts it. Oof. But like, yeah, so that... that Especially that phrase, inherited like the power to love, like that that what was conveyed at Sinai was not was not just the text of the Torah and not just the laws of the Torah, but like the power to understand it, to continually keep like bringing the love out of it. Yeah. I, I mean, he goes on to say like how Mendel of Rabbi Mendel of Kotsk said that the reason they, they wrote down the oral tradition, which was, strictly forbidden to write down was that you can't really write it down and uh even even the writing down of the oral tradition like what's what remains unwritten is just like the the intangibility of how we read and how we study together and how we transmit this to one another the beautiful impulse behind reading Kol Gadol as, and it was never heard from again, is it's very compassionate to the ways in which Torah can feel very remote to us now. Like, mm-hmm. you encounter this text and it can seem like this dead, distant crust from another, yeah. like, from somebody else's pancake breakfast. Uh, and so what does it mean? How can we take seriously the intensity of Revelation at Sinai if we have this re- relationship to this thing as feeling so distant? And that that reading of it, that it's like a voice that was never resumed with that intensity, gives us compassion in that experience. Mm. But I think what you're saying about like, and what Heschel is saying, and what Mendel of Kotsk is saying, is that the fire of that initial revelation exists within us. It doesn't exist in the written language, or you know, like that an important element of it exists within us. And I, I'm. Forgive the digression, but I, it feels actually sort of in a meta way important to say that this, not important to say, this Gershom Shalom essay that I looked at again 
um, about revelation and tradition. I wrote an essay on this essay, an essay on this in college and worked so hard on this essay and got like a terrible grade. And the teacher was like this, you misunderstood this essay completely. <laughs> and, uh, here I am coming back to it many, many years later and like reading it and feeling like maybe I have a relationship, but who knows, but that's talk about like revelation and the way we encounter texts differently over time. And that sometimes we need to get things wrong and forget things. And then we come to different relationship to them. But there's this passage in that essay where Shalom talks about the relationship that we sort of don't actually understand what oral tradition is anymore because we we've lost the distinction between like an abstract set of theories and then like knowledge that is passed on from person to person as a set of practices and life mm -hmm. habits that even life habits now have become written down. Like we watch a YouTube video to learn how to change a flat tire as opposed to like that being a thing that you learn from your sister yeah. or something. And, so like inherited culture and the idea that, 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 that the, the real force of revelation, the Kol Gadol is actually in, is always interpersonal or between a human and God. And I think that that's what, like, why, that's why study happens in a classroom. It's why it happens in Chavruta. It's why, like, yeah, these things all exist in the context of relationship and conversation. Um, yeah, it's a it's a voice and a listener, and a and a listener with their own voice to bring to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, that like maybe the ongoingness of of revelation is a culture of love that continues. No, it's just as as life itself is sustained by the fountain, the burbling fountain of the voice of God, like revelation is sustained by our ability to practice love. Um, yeah. And our ability to listen. I feel like that's a... Yeah. <laughs> that... <laughs> uh, what... Uh, of what... Of that which can be said, one must speak. One must. But of that yeah. which cannot be said, thereof one must remain silent. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so beautiful, Agnes, to be doing with this with you face to face. It feels very very appropriate to to hear each other's real voices. So anyway, until next time, listeners. Our theme music is by me and Sam. I always feel like I forget to say mm -hmm. that me and my my trusty drummer, Sam Durkies, recorded the theme music. And that you can email us at twoqueersforquestions at gmail.com. That's the one. We yeah. hope you have a beautiful Shavuot full of particular overwhelming, exquisite, and deeply sensuous revelation. Hell yeah. Till next time.